1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephen T. McClellan, uh, who is a 32-year career uh, analyst on Wall Street and also the author of a new book called Full of Bull, Unscrambling uh, Wall Street Double Talk to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you, Jordan. Let's just start off with a little bit of your background and uh, kind of your history as a Wall Street analyst and then how you got into wanting to uh, write this book.
3: Well, I spent 32 years on Wall Street as a, as a securities analyst covering high-tech stocks. Starting back in 1971, I went through a lot of uh, decades of uh, research on Wall Street. And then when I retired a few years ago... I realized that individual investors are so deceived and misled and confused by the Wall Street practices that all the insiders know about, but the street's never going to tell you about, that I thought a book would might be warranted to spell all this out, because a book like this has really never been written before.
2: And when you were at Wall Street, I guess you were at Merrill Lynch for quite a while, were you feeling... Uh, guilty about this? Or, I mean, kind of. What was your, you're doing this for? Thirty-two years. Did you have like a epiphany at the end of, or something, or kind of? Well,
3: I think the epiphany was after I retired and I was on an airplane flight and I had someone drilling me, drilling me for investment advice, and I realized how naive they were. Not because they weren't paying attention. It was just because they were believing uh, literally all the stuff coming out of Wall Street. And when I was on Wall Street, like most analysts, we were catering to the big, huge. Uh, clients, the mutual funds and the hedge funds, and we paid very little uh, no attention, essentially, to individuals. So uh, we, they were neglected, and uh, there was a certain code on Wall Street uh, that all the insiders understood, like a hold rating is really a negative uh, view, or a neutral is really very negative, things like that. But I just realized the outside world just had no clue about this. So that's why I was so compelled to uh, put it all out in writing. Now,
2: research has changed a lot, particularly recently. Uh, particularly after the uh, the dot com scandals uh, the uh, regulation d which i guess means that supposedly information has to go out to everybody at the same time there have been all kinds of changes in uh, keeping uh, research separate from investment banking have have these recent uh, changes affected uh, the quality of of, uh, research on wall street
3: not really uh, at all Uh, all those reforms uh... Uh, really, uh, were after the horse was out of the barn, I guess you'd say. Uh, and in reality, uh, the quality of the research is, is is worse now. It it is a tiny bit more objective, but it's still anything but fully objective. Uh, they did disconnect the uh, investment banking influence from uh, research departments and analysts, so they weren't so beholden to, uh, to the investment bankers to have buy ratings on everything and be cheerleaders. So that's a little bit separated. But aside from that, uh, uh, not much has changed. In fact, the economics of Wall Street has deteriorated to such a degree this decade that uh, now uh, research, they can't afford really good research. And so now it's a mile wide and an inch deep. So there's a lot of very junior analysts out there. And the real good senior high-paid analysts either retired like myself or went to the buy side and worked for hedge funds and things.
2: Since you were in the high-tech area during the uh, the dot-com boom, uh, tell us a little bit about the pressures uh, of uh, the investment banking side. And uh, w- was a lot of your job to, to bring in new business and be, as you'd call it, a cheerleader? Or uh, tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, uh,
3: some analysts were very susceptible to that, uh, especially the younger, more junior analysts who were newly hired, and I call them bull market babies at the time. And they had no background. Uh, I have a CFA, I have an MBA, and they and I had a couple of decades of experience. But these newer analysts at that time did not, and so uh, they were completely uh, almost vestiges of the investment banking department. And of course, all they were getting paid hugely for helping bring in new uh, internet uh, company uh, stock uh, to take public and and support and recommend and so forth. So. There was a lot of that going on, absolutely. On the other hand, uh, I was at that time a very senior analyst and was able to say, no, I'm not interested in covering that or taking that company public or getting involved with that. Uh, and and I had certain perspective after the 1970s uh, difficult market debacles. Uh, I had some some purview of, of what might happen. So I didn't get quite as involved or anywhere near as involved as any, a lot of other analysts. On the other hand, uh, yes, there was a. It was all about uh, taking companies public and uh, doing banking deals.
2: So you resisted that pressure, unlike many others, you're saying.
3: Well, I pretty much did. In fact, uh, what was hilarious about it is uh, I covered uh, companies like Ross Perot's company EDS in Dallas and ADP, the payroll company, and and uh, and companies like Microsoft and Oracle and so forth, the software companies and and. What uh, the clients were saying, even the clients, let alone the salesman who wanted me to, and the investment bankers, uh, you know, that they were saying, McClellan, you are an obsolete dinosaur. There is a new paradigm here. You're missing the boat completely. You're not on board. You're not following. You're not recommending these stocks. It's a new world. Uh, What's the matter? You have lost it. You're over the hill. You're done. When they all crashed and burned, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, when uh, the, the, right around the year 2000, all of a sudden, guess what? McClellan was back in style. Everyone's saying, "Gee, you're, uh, you're. We're listening to you again. Uh, uh, we're interested in you as an analyst." Uh, uh, so, you know, I went through that whole process of being <laughs> out of favor and then back in favor.
2: So you were not recommending a lot of tech stocks during the boom. Is that what you're saying?
3: Uh, well, I was covering computer services and software. I was certainly not recommending all those young, new startup uh... boom-bust uh, internet companies and uh... you know i was sticking with the old consistent steady profitable companies actually making black ink actually having red you know uh, uh, consistent predictable revenues and so forth and no one was interested in that that was boring that was only growing twenty percent they wanted internet stocks growing a hundred percent So i uh... you know they didn't pay much attention to me but that's what i stuck with during that era yes
2: some people would say that there's are er, echoes of that uh, dot-com uh, era today. Uh, for example, last week uh, Twitter raised $100 million having no revenue or prospect of revenue, and Facebook did the same kind of thing. Do you think we're, we're destined to repeat uh, the dot-com bubble now?
3: We uh, could well be. Wall Street does never learns from past mistakes. Uh, they have very short memories. Uh Uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, This is a very tricky market in here. It's very confusing. There's a a very deceptive stock market these days and these kinds of companies. You know, Wall Street's all about what's the the newest thing in town, the newest game, and it's all about upside appreciation and gains and growth and so forth. They never recommend or, shall we say, focus on risk what the downside is, how much money you could lose, et cetera. That's never the focus, and that's the problem. That's why Wall Street tends to be a big, glorified marketing sales organization selling their products rather than uh, objective uh, financial investment advisors. Uh, so they're a little bit like auto dealers in some respects rather than uh, you know a, a trusted financial advisor. One
2: of the things that was supposed to come out of the uh, transformation of research after the Enron and WorldCom scandals was a whole series of independent uh, Wall Street analysts, uh, you know, like Value right. Line and Argus Research, and right. uh, has that happened? And have they got a lot of influence? I mean, when you go on to uh, to Schwab today or something like, they'll they'll show the ratings of all the independent yeah. firms. This is part of the legislation. Has that changed things at all?
3: Uh, it didn't change much because, uh, yes, they all got bootstrapped because of the settlement by the major firms. They had to put up a lot of money to uh, okay. allocate to those kinds of res- independent research firms and. And publish their ratings and opinions alongside the brokerage firm's own internal uh, analyst opinions. Uh, that's almost sputtered out at this point. Uh, that five years is already done now. Uh, uh, it hasn't revolutionized or changed much. Uh, yes, you still see those opinions uh, on brokerage reports, those outside independent opinions, but they're, again, uh, don't have a lot of depth behind them. They're, they are more objective than the brokerage report because they're not beholden to investment banking and they're not beholden to. Uh, the big institutional clients that demand uh, positive ratings like the mutual funds, and they're not beholden to corporate executives as much that want you, analysts on the street to be positive on their particular stock. But uh, they're a little more objective, but there's not a lot of in-depth, heavyweight, uh, talented, uh, experienced uh, analysts behind that. So uh, uh, it really hasn't changed and revolutionized anything.
2: There are these uh, rankings of uh, analysts, the institutional investor, all-stars, Yep. And various other kind of independent rankings of uh, analysts as stock pickers. Is that a good place for people to go uh, to trust uh, analysts who are high on those institutional investor lists and these rankings? Is that a, a good well, kind of independent way of looking at it? It is.
3: It is. Uh, it is uh, yes, uh, to some degree. Uh, the Institutional Investor magazine ranks them, and so does the Wall Street Journal. Uh, uh, I think that that yes. Uh, that, that's a place to start. Now, the Institutional Investor magazine—it's a little bit of a popularity poll. It's who can make what analysts uh, can make the most phone calls and and uh, do the, do the most for the client. Those big institutional clients that vote on those polls, and so they're, they're, those polls are a little misconstrued, or shall we say, uh, you know, uh, they're a little strange, but. Uh, so I, I'm I, it's a mixed. I was on. I was ranked as one of the top three analysts in my field for 19 straight years. So, of course, I'm saying oh, They're great and they're perfectly accurate and they're absolutely trustworthy. But in reality, I have to tell you, uh, 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 it, it's just a starting point. Uh, it's not. It's not uh, completely totally trustworthy.
2: Okay. Uh, before we get into the book a little bit again, uh, Steve McClellan's book is called Full of Bull. Uh, unscramble wall street double talk uh, to protect and build your portfolio uh, tell people about your website and blog and what some of the things they can uh, find out there
3: yeah uh... my website is my name uh, Stephen t mcclellan uh, that's uh, the ph right i do blog every couple weeks to uh... discuss what's going on uh... in the wall street scene and uh... the stock market and my views on things and uh... in reality it's kind of updating the book but uh... And then there's the book that, uh, half the book is about all these confusing, misleading, deceptive practices that I think investors have to understand before they can even have a chance of a, a good, sound investment strategy. And then after that, the other part of the book is, well, what is that sound investment strategy that is quite different than what Wall Street uh, is telling you? Well, let's
2: start uh, right in with uh, your first chapter is decoding Wall Street's well-kept secrets. And one of them is that analysts are not very good at stock picking. I mean, supposedly, from the investors' point of view, that's what they're doing: is they're saying, buy the stock, hold the stock, sell that stock. Why is it that Wall Street analysts are not good at stock picking?
3: That's one of the uh, biggest misconceptions by investors: is that analysts uh, uh, are paid and are good at stock uh, recommendations and stock picking. In reality, they're paid for to do in-depth research on their in, on the industry sector and the company's innards, internals, uh, you know, uh, business and so forth. And, and uh, they're really not uh, spend any time on, on buy, sell, hold, stock picking, and they're not tracked very closely. And, and so uh, the track record of analysts on Wall Street is notoriously poor on their recommendations. Uh, even, even some of the experts that you see in the magazines and, and uh, publications are, are, are all over the map. So uh, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that which we can go into, absolutely.
2: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Stephen T. McClellan, uh, whose new book is called Full of Bull, Unscramble Wall Street, Double Talk, and to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. We'll be back after this.
1: both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
4: are you ready to go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network
0: Mark of the Fraud by Roidhead Hear more at Don'tBeAnAsterisk.com Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S.
1: Olympic Committee
4: From the boardroom to you Voice America Business Network
1: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman If you have a question for Jordan or his guest Please call us now at 866-472-5790 That's 866-472-5790 Now back to Jordan
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephen T. McClellan, uh, who is a 32-year veteran of Wall Street as an analyst, and he's written a book called Full of Bull, Unscramble Wall Street Double Talk to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. Welcome back to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about uh, kind of the um, way that analysts are bad at stock picking, and that would be a surprise because most people think that's really what they do. How should people... What 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 should they make of these buy sell and hold ratings?
3: Well, you know, the, an analyst is subject to a lot of different uh, audiences and pressures. His trading floor wants an idea for today. His uh, big institutional clients, like the mutual funds and so forth, which is what they cater to almost entirely. You know, they they, they want to make money this month. Uh, so the last thing you're ever going to get out of an analyst is a long term investment recommendation. You're going to kind of get a tr- so called trading recommendation. But it's the system that's the problem. First of all, even though there's a detachment of the investment banking department uh, from research, uh, you know, the investment bankers, and particularly the executives of a corporation, are very upset if you have a negative opinion. So there's a, ne- a very favorable bias. And then the other big, the biggest audience, as I mentioned, the hedge funds and the mutual funds, they own these stocks, so if you go negative and a sell rating on one of the stocks they own, they're very upset, and they're their biggest clients for the analysts and the brokerage firm. So, so the whole system is stacked up to be favorably a favorable bias, and therefore, uh, it's very difficult to have any balance and to be uh, be negative on a stock. So, as a result, they are bad stock pickers. So, did that happen? Tell us a story in your
2: case where. Maybe you had a buy on a stock and you brought it down to hold or sell, and what happened?
3: There's just numeral, numeral, times, uh, numerous times uh, I can tell you uh, that that uh, uh, I was negative on a stock, and the executives at that company uh, would uh, talk to the other analysts and the uh, the uh, no, they would talk to the the those clients, those mutual funds, those hedge funds, those insurance companies, and say, this McClellan analyst is not very good; he doesn't understand our company. He doesn't get the, I, the big picture. He's a bad analyst. He's, a, he's wrong on his recommendation, and he bad me and poor-mouths me and, uh, and trash-talks me. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that happens when you go negative on a stock to say nothing of that hedge fund or that mutual fund who all of a sudden is very upset and says, I'm not going to allocate any commission business to uh, your firm, uh, McClellan, because uh, I'm upset because you knocked my stock down five points this morning. So, so being right doesn't matter in the long run. Uh, well, now that's another good question. Uh, the analyst on Wall Street is not getting commissioned business and being paid for his buy and sell recommendations. That's why the big clients like those mutual funds don't pay much attention to it, and don't don't that that doesn't much matter to them. They would rather have the analyst have no opinion, and the analyst just tell them about the company, about the industry, about the competitive trends, and about the the business and so forth and then they can make up their own minds, but uh the analysts are kind of forced to have a buyer, a seller, a hold, and therefore uh it's a bit of a, a guessing game.
2: Now supposedly these big institutions and mutual funds and so on have their own internal analysts
3: yes, they who are do. doing
2: buy side. So why do they need sell side analysts if they've got their own inside buy analysts?
3: Yeah, uh they, 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 they they don't, their analysts uh, tend to be uh, somewhat less experienced and certainly uh, have, cover a much broader uh, range of uh, companies and sectors. And so uh, that's a bit of a support staff. And so uh, the uh, sell-side analysts at the brokerage firms tend uh, to, to, to be able to delve down deeper in companies' businesses because they're following less companies and really understand it better. So uh, it turns out... Uh, uh, now, those analysts inside the mutual funds are better at stock picking, interesting, but they're not as good at knowing the uh, detailed fundamentals in the businesses and, uh, the, as the uh, analysts at the brokerage firms. One of the
2: things you say is that most downgrades are late, um, that the <laughs> stock price has already fallen. Again, well, this is something the analyst is supposed to be catching before they go down. Isn't it, working? Well, it's
3: because the analysts are not paying really close attention to uh, the buy-sell-hold recommendation. And secondly... Uh, if he has a buy on the stock, he's very hesitant, like I mentioned, all the reasons, to downgrade it to a more negative opinion. So he uh, he, he tends to uh, leave it there for a long period of time and because uh, he doesn't want to upset the apple cart and pull the trigger and uh, get everyone angry at him. And so uh, that, the, 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 and there's a comfort uh, feeling for the street analyst uh to be if everyone's recommending it uh, all the other brokerage firms then he's recommending it and they're all in the, in, in it together if he's the only one outside of them that's a uh, contrarian uh, it's pretty uncomfortable for him for those reasons I mentioned
2: you also say that Wall Street has a big company bias now what has happened lately with the cutbacks in Wall Street research are a lot of Deserving smaller companies not getting much, if any, uh, coverage than they did in the Absolutely. past?
3: Absolutely. You read about that all the time, that these small companies, some of them don't have any analysts covering them, or they have one or two analysts covering them. And that's because, well, what a surprise. A typical brokerage firm get most of their business from these big institutional clients, like these hedge funds, And uh, those big, uh, uh, heavy-hitter institutional uh, buy-side firms own big-cap stocks. I mean, Fidelity owns a lot of big-cap stocks, and therefore they want coverage on the big-cap stocks. And a lot of the trading desk at a brokerage firm, uh, uh, the businesses uh, in these big-caps, liquid big-cap stocks. And so the system is just stacked towards big companies, and a lot of the investment banking business is done with these big companies. So, therefore, uh, that's, the, that's the orientation. Uh, an analyst on the street can uh, make a dramatic upgrade to a small-cap little company and be brilliantly right and do uh, does terrifically well over the next year, and he gets precious little credit for that, because nobody hardly ever, no one owns it. It's too small. It's not that widely owned. If he does that with a big-cap company, he gets much more credit because it's so widely owned and so on. So, it's the system is the problem.
2: Now, this should be an opportunity for individual investors, though, because if you buy smaller cap companies that are growing well and they're not well known, then you have more upside than buying, you know, a General Electric or some really big, well known company that doesn't seem to have that much upside.
3: Well, you are absolutely correct. Uh, it sounds like you read the book. Uh, I did. I talk about that in my book and in my investment strategies. We'll get to that later. Uh, uh, the, uh, small, look for uh, smaller uh, capitalization, smaller companies, because Wall Street's neglecting them, and those big institutional investors are neglecting them. And uh, you're, you're likely to uh, you know, find a company, if it's a good company that has a lot of years of success in front of it, and you can ride along with that. Uh, it's a little, uh, you know... L- Late to be buying uh, a big cap, widely held company that's getting mature, and everybody already owns. And uh, there's only one way to go with that, and that's when something goes wrong, or some analysts get disenchanted, and so on. So I, I just absolutely think that uh, uh, you look for the smaller capitalization companies because uh, you, you try to do the opposite of kind of what Wall Street does almost.
2: Wall Street, a lot of the almost all the firms put out what they call the focus list or their kind of uh, their best list. How are those lists done uh, compared to the, the market averages?
3: Well, Barron's tracks that every six months and, uh, and ranks and rates them. And it, it's amazing how mediocre their performance is. It's usually the top 20 or 25 stocks of the whole brokerage firm, the whole research department. And uh, a committee puts it together. And, uh, and uh, it turns out those lists typically perform no better than all the other positive buy-rated stocks at that firm and uh, they're all over the map in terms of uh, doing well certain sometimes they get lucky and they do well in certain six-month segments and other times they do poorly and uh, and uh, you know you might say one big brokerage firm's emphasis list did really great the last six months and then six months later uh, it's uh, at the bottom of the rankings uh, list didn't do so well so you, you, it, it, there's no consistency to it so uh, in fact, what I thought was hilarious uh, a couple years ago is the the top-rated uh, emphasis list on all of Wall Street was Charles Schwab, and Charles Schwab had no research analysts and no research. <laughs> so how did they do that? <laughs> and guess what? Therefore, they were probably a little more objective, and they uh, you know they had strategists uh, pick stocks for their list, and uh, and uh, they did. They did terrifically well against all the other major firms that have huge, big research staffs. <laughs> uh, you also
2: <laughs> say that analysts tend to miss titanic secular shifts. What would be an example of that?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, in an in a, in a, in a industry when uh, a technological change occurs, uh, uh, I had that happen several different times, experienced in the software industry when we went for. The software for big computers to software from so-called mini computers, and then it was software for PC software, and and, and so on. Uh, these big shifts that happen in the in, in industries sure happens in pharmaceuticals and and, and all sorts of other industries. Uh, the analysts are so focused on the existing current uh, business environment, business trends, business that, that that when the when the shifts start happening subtly. They're they're just too beholden and, and familiar with and comfortable with the, the old way, so the new way they kind of dismiss and uh, and uh, downplay until it gets to be so overwhelming that uh, you know it's it's all, it's it's very very late for uh, it, it's obvious to everybody. And, but
2: you, you were saying on the other hand that they always want Wall Street wants the newest latest thing, so wouldn't they be, keep their ears out for the lo- newest latest thing as opposed to just what's already been out there?
3: Yeah, uh, that's true. But uh, well, it's it's a it's a tough question. Uh, I'm thinking re- these really big, large market cap companies. You know, uh, the uh, big software companies, or the these big you know uh, telecom uh, comp- uh, equipment companies, Cisco and so forth. Uh, you know, things might start changing in their in their in their in their sector, and the, with new little companies emerging, but. Like I say, the bias is towards these big companies, so the analysts are spending all their time and attention looking at the big company, not the new, new emerging startups. And uh, it's 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 just it's just the human tendency to uh, stick with the old thing for too long. Very good.
2: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is uh, Stephen uh, T. McClellan, uh, who's uh, been on Wall Street for a long time. Who's thirty-two years an analyst covering uh, high tech industry. Uh, His new book is called Full of Bull, Unscramble Wall Street Double Talk to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. We'll be back after this.
1: Mic check, one, two, big poser coming to you fake, yeah, ever. Got no more games since I got with the juice. Uh -uh. No cruising with my friends, they cut me loose. Now my coach is hating, Hating. parents keep berating. Good thing my team's still behind me saying. Hey, yo, what happened to my teammates, man? Yo, where y'all at, man? Come on, man. I thought we were family.
0: Don't be a poser. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee. When it
4: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephen T. McClellan, uh, whose new book is called Full of Bull. Unscramble Wall Street Double Talk to protect and build your portfolio. Welcome back to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Jordan. You want to talk a little bit about the uh, buy and sell opinions and, and uh, hold and so on and, and what that really does mean and what it doesn't mean and how people should, should take those kind of opinions.
3: Yeah, the uh, opinion rating system on Wall Street is quite flawed. For example, a, a neutral or a hold. Some people think a hold means you they're indicating you should hold the stock. Well, far from it. A neutral... If it's a downgrade from a buy positive buy rating, it's very negative. They're sending the signal that the analyst is getting more negative about the company and the stock and the outlook, and that's a downgrade. and, And everyone on the insiders all know that, and so they'll either sell the stock or certainly understand that the analyst is getting very much more negative. If a neutral is an upgrade from a sell rating up to a neutral, then it's very positive because he's getting more positive on the company's outlook and the earnings prospects and and the stock, and therefore he's sending a very favorable positive uh, uh, signal. But uh, on the face of it, if you just take it literally, you don't know which it is. And it's the same for outperform or underperform. A few years ago, an analyst at a major firm had Toll Brothers at a $29 stock at that time. He had an outperform on it, and his price target objective was 23 because in reality, he said, "Well, it's going to outperform all the other home builders, even though it's going to go down in price." But someone as an outside investor might think an outperform means that stock is likely to go up, or that they were recommending it because it might it was going to go up. But in reality, no, not at all. So, outperform and underperform are very confusing and misleading as well.
2: Yeah, y- you also say that uh, major. Uh, biaset institutions, the hedge funds and uh, mutual funds and so on, uh, have access to selective information uh, that the average person doesn't have. Supposedly, Reg D, uh, I guess it's FD, right? With the um, yes,
3: fair uh, disclosure, full,
2: full disclosure yeah. was, was supposed
3: to get rid of that selective. That hasn't happened. You're saying? Did not happen. Has not happened. No. Uh, first of all. Uh, if you're a big institution like a, a huge mutual fund or a, one of the major, guess what? Uh, you call up the top executives of the company, and they're going to talk to you. Or you want to go visit the company, or you want the company to come and visit you, they're going to because you own a few million shares of their stock. And uh, they don't. in those meetings, they don't even let the uh, sell side, that is the brokerage firm analyst, in to join in to hear what they're talking about. And you you have you, you can imagine what body English is going on in, in that kind of a meeting, and then uh, just take the analyst itself, the analyst opinion, analyst research reports uh, have are, are very useful for all the, the the information in them about the company's business and the competitors and the and the trends and everything. But but uh, in reality, they don't really they don't get real specific, subjective, and and opinionated and, and pithy in terms of. Uh, uh the, the real critical stuff and so so because they're kind of watered down or shall we say they're there there's they're, they're, they're the compliance committees that that the, 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 you know, smooth them out and so forth so what happens is if you really want to know the root what the analyst is really thinking well guess what he's on the telephone to these big huge institutional investors talking to those huge portfolio managers telling him what he what he really thinks and what 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 what, what, what not that he's really negative and his published opinion is positive it's not that degree of conflict but but he's just giving him shades of of uh, views and shades shadings and so forth and so that goes on a lot well the individual investors are not privy to that
2: isn't this what FD was supposed to stop though is it, it supposed well, doesn't
3: because the same information well, was going to everybody at the same time that well was the yeah idea. if it's a major thing like a big opinion change or it's a material change in your earnings estimate forecast or something like that but if it's just like uh, uh, something like, well, I think they're highly likely to win this contract, uh, big contract in the next month, uh, that it's uh, and so forth. Well, you know, uh, some of these kinds of shadings and, and opinions are, are, uh, are more, more definitive in a, in a personal phone call with a big institutional client or the trading desk uh... but uh... but but it's not that uh... black and white in a research report that the that goes to the public you were saying that hedge funds are a major influence these days as well how are they risen? yeah because they've gotten so big and they're such active traders uh... that uh... they are uh, always amongst the very biggest brokerage firm clients and therefore the the brokerage firms cater to them hugely and so the uh... and they're pretty aggressive most of these hedge funds and so they, uh, they, they get on the phone with an analyst, and this does happen to me when I was on the street, and, and they'll try to influence you to either change your opinion or they'll try to feed you information that's quite opposite to what your view is, uh, and some of it might be accurate, and some of it might be wild rumors and inaccurate, but they're trying to influence the uh, Wall Street uh, research, and they're trying to uh, send rumors around to uh, influence the stock one way or the other that they own, or they're short, and... So, they and, and the analysts and the sales force at the brokerage firms are so beholden to them because they're such big clients that they, they'll do cartwheels for them, uh, call them back first, give them a little more insight than someone else, uh, and you, go visit them more often, that kind of thing. So, uh, they, uh, they have, in some ways, uh, helped corrupt research uh, on Wall Street. Uh, just like uh, what happened to investment banking uh, corporations back in a decade ago.
2: Yeah, okay. All right, now you have a whole section of uh, Full of Bull uh, where you talk about how to uh, come up with good investments uh, despite the, uh, uh, the, all these conflicts we've talked about. So let's go right. through some of the things that people uh, should do to select uh, a
3: good country. Well, Okay, the place to start, and I do a fair amount of uh, talking about this in the book, is protecting your capital is being uh, focused on the risk. And Wall Street will never tell you about the risk. They tell you about what the upside price potential is, but uh, they think, but they certainly never tell you what the downside risk in the price might be. And, you know, it's all about how much you keep of your capital and the return of your capital and not losing and so forth. And, boy, everyone learned that lesson in the last couple or three years here. And uh, uh, so you can't listen to Wall Street. They're not interested in protecting your capital. They're interested in... You as a customer making trades to generate commissions, and they're interested in stocks that'll, you know, in recommending stocks to go up. So it's all about capital gains and so forth to them, and and not about conservative, uh, uh, long-term investing. And, and so you you just you're on your own, and you have to start with looking at risk and you're protecting your capital. Then
2: you also say you want to buy. Unique, focused companies and simple businesses. What are some things to look yeah, for Yeah, I do.
3: I mean, uh, a payroll company that does payroll processing or a company that's focused on, uh, uh, you know, uh, medical claims. Uh, the, 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 companies that do one thing that's, uh, that's pretty understandable and describable. It's not something that's so complex you wouldn't understand their business. And a company that, you know, that, that's got a niche, uh, carved out a niche for itself, uh, that can run faster than uh, the bigger, uh, broader-based companies that get hardening of the arteries. So I, I like, it's called specialization. Uh, so I like specialists that are focused and that are smaller in size, yes. And
2: what are you looking for in management of a company uh, when you're talking to Well, them? I
3: do a couple of big chapters on, uh, in, on, on the management, and it's very interesting because uh, people have been interested in having me come and talk to them and make speeches about it. Uh, I'm looking for executive character uh, that I can trust. Uh, can you trust these people? If you hear them on a conference call, and investors can tune into these quarterly earnings conference calls, and what do you think of them? You hear and you can see them on the internet, on, on the web pages, and so forth. You know, are are they trustworthy? Are they? Uh, do they have uh, old-fashioned values? Are they conservative? Are they in touch with? Uh, what's going on uh, or are they, uh, you know, are, and, and are they confident? And, and I like to be tough and assertive and have some conviction and confident and, and other other factors, creative and so on. Uh, uh, that's what I look positively. But the other things are red flags that throw up to me to uh, 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 avoid, avoid the, the company. If they're arrogant and if they have a lot of hubris and a lot of hype and if they're talking about their stock price and their, and there's a lot, of, a lot of PR, full-page ads uh, with the CEO's picture on it. Uh, they're flamboyant. Uh, if they're lavish, have opulent headquarters. Uh, uh, if they trash talk their competition, you know, if they have these characteristics that are that are not very good quality, uh, you, uh, and you're uncomfortable with. Uh, I wouldn't trust the company. So that in fact happened to times. You, you all the time. You uh, I used and, uh... to cover companies. I go into and I'd see their headquarters, and it was lavish, and it was, oh my God, uh, you know, uh, glass, uh, uh, marble, uh, uh, expensive art, uh, lavish digs, uh, you know, uh, fleets of, of uh, BMW cars for the management, and uh, that would be such a turnoff. I'd run absolutely. <laughs> I, you, you observe that, or and, or. You know, are are they low, are they low key in demeanor and can, and and shall we say, uh, you know, uh, not not flying first class and don't have big huge lavish office and some of these individual investors can't can't really discern that but but uh, I certainly did as an analyst on Wall Street and it told me everything.
2: You also said to avoid weird stock structures and sweetheart management setups. What would be some examples? Yeah, of that? Yeah, I
3: mean, uh, when you have two classes of stock. Uh, When they have uh, uh, things that, uh, stock buybacks are another thing that really bother me because I think uh, managements are notoriously bad at buying their stock back. They should be paying it out in dividends or reinvesting it in the business. And uh, that's just a mechanism to to help push their stock price higher when they do a big stock repurchase plan. So anything that's complicated and uh, has... uh, 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 in terms of the stock structure is, to me, very bothersome, and uh, I would avoid that, yep.
2: You, you do like dividend yields? I and mean, we were saying that Wall Street is very much oriented towards growth, but you say dividends are important.
3: Do I ever? Uh, it's probably the, maybe the second most important thing in my investment rec- uh, strategies. People don't realize that uh, dividends over the last 80 years or more have uh, contributed forty more than 40 percent of uh, – the return on capital uh, in stocks. Uh the other 60% is is uh, capital appreciation of the stock price. So if you're if you don't have stocks with dividends, you're leaving 40% of the gains of the returns on the table. You you And the other thing, of course, I recommend is value stocks that are conservative uh, low-priced value stocks and everyone says to me, "Well, how do you determine that?" And one way to do it is do they pay a dividend? Do they pay a good dividend? Because invariably, if they're paying a dividend, they have, they're they're pretty conservative. They have a good balance sheet. They have good cash flow. They have good profits, and so they're able to pay out a dividend consistently. And they're therefore it's probably by definition a value stock with a modest PE multiple. So uh, dividends are very important, and then the value uh, price uh, pricing of the stock is also very important.
2: You say that uh, trading can be entertaining. Uh, but like gambling is usually fruitless. Now today people are following uh, Jim Cramer and all the latest, you know, hot stock tips. For the next 15 minutes on CNBC is that a loser's game for most people? It
3: totally is. Uh, the media wants you to do that because they want you to tune in uh, their uh, show every day, and uh, like Cramer. And of course the brokerage firms love you to do that because they want the trades. But I mean, uh, if you're not sitting at the trading desk at the brokerage firm or at the hedge fund desk. Uh, then that's a losing game, because uh, uh, that's kind of what Wall Street does, and they don't do very well at it uh, in terms of their own recommendations. Uh, I recommend individuals be investors, not traders, hold stocks long-term, not short-term, dividends and value rather than growth and momentum, and really just be steadfast rather than reacting. And, uh, yeah, pay attention, read the Wall Street Journal, and know what's going on in the, in the world, but don't, don't pull the trigger all the time. Very good.
2: Okay, we're going to go to a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Stephen McClellan, whose book is called Full of Bull. We'll be back after this.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephen T. McClellan, uh, who is a long-term analyst, a veteran of Wall Street. Uh, his book is called Full of Bull, Unscramble, Wall Street Double Talk to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. Welcome back to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Before we get back into it, just give people your uh, website again and, and blog, so if they want to follow it's, you, they can uh, go there.
3: Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T, like in true, McClellan, M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N, at, uh, dot .com. Good. Okay, let's go into some of the other areas
2: uh, where people should be doing to to good investments that are going to work for them. Uh, One of the areas you say is that turnarounds uh, almost never work. What what do you mean by that?
3: Yeah, uh, Wall Street loves a turnaround story—a big company that's gone off the tracks and brings in new management and tries to turn it around. And most, uh, ninety percent of the time, it never quite turns around. So what happens is that the new management does a lot of write-offs and brings in a lot of new management and uh, tells a whole new story, and everyone gets excited. But in reality, uh, they're not, they can't really change a dinosaur that's losing its way and make a new company out of it and give it all sorts of new dramatic uh, directions. Uh, the New startup companies do that. Uh, they, they do it from the get-go. A big, old, tired, established company is very, very difficult to turn around.
2: I mean, IBM is one that people would think
3: of as, as a classic example. Well, IBM around. is kind of, uh, yeah, they lost, uh, they, they went off the tracks, and they they kind of studied the ship under Gershner uh, ten years ago. But in reality, if you look uh, where they've gone, uh, hardly any revenue growth, and uh, a lot of stock buybacks, and a lot of financial finagling. And so, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're doing okay, but they're not, not, not ultra-exciting. Uh, uh, Hewlett Packard is the exception. Carly Fiorina came in, did not turn it around at all. It was uh, very unsuccessful, which fits my whole theme here. But then uh, Mark Hurd has definitely turned that thing around, uh, and so that is the exception. But in general, it's very difficult to call a successful turnaround Uh, Wall Street's notoriously bad at it. Uh, They recommend all of them, and none of them hardly work. So I tell investors, steer clear of that, because it's a losing game.
2: You say, do not try to catch a falling safe. Now, normally the expression on Wall Street is catch a falling knife. What what do you mean by Yeah, that's
3: an equal expression. I like safe better. Uh, If you try to catch a falling safe, you might get flattened. Uh, You know, that's uh, stocks like the bank stocks a couple years ago and the home builder stocks that have come down so far that you thought, oh, my God, they're so cheap, they're such a good value, they've fallen so low, now I'm going to get in at the bottom and buy the stock. And, of course, what happens always is they go lower. And Wall Street plays that game, uh, again, unsuccessfully. They they, they 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 try to recommend it when the stock is, you know, all the way down to, say, you know, 10 or 15, like GM was down from 80 to 10 or something. And it goes on down to 5 and to 2 and to 0 and so on. So... Uh, that is uh, a very, very impossible game to pick the bottom and uh, buy it at the bottom and so forth. And so it's, again, uh, something to, uh, uh, it's, it's for traders, but it's just uh, it's not a good investment strategy.
2: You also said to avoid initial public offerings. They're, they're starting to get hot again.
3: They certainly are, aren't they? They've done studies on IPOs, and uh, the, all the studies show that if you buy them on the IPO price, uh, you uh, underperform the market for the next 12 months, uh, and that you invariably, almost always, can buy them cheaper later than the IPO day price. And if you're an individual, you're not going to get a good IPO uh, a position anyway. If it's a hot IPO, it's going to it's going to get allocated by the brokerage firm to those big institutional clients, uh, the hedge funds, and the mutual funds, and the in the endowment funds and so forth, they're going to get the lion's share. And you, as an individual investor, you're lucky if you get 50 shares. And, uh, so, uh, and if you do get some stock, well, it's because there was a lot of stock to go around because they couldn't sell it. It was not a hot offering. It was not uh, a lot of interest in it. The outlook, it was a tough deal to get done, so they give it to the individual's because they couldn't uh, manage to sell it to the big institutional clients. So, okay, some IPOs other things are uh, not, a, not, not a good investment. Some of the other
2: things you say that people should be doing uh, is to uh, read various publications like the Wall Street Journal. And so <clears throat> what are some media sources that you think people should be reading?
3: The media sources are certainly more objective than the brokerage firms' research. So, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal, I read Barron's, and I read Forbes and uh, there's other publications, and at least their, their, their interest is, is to a much greater degree of being objective on uh, on the news, on companies, and on the uh, investment rec- recommendations. They aren't so beholden to big institutional clients or uh, big uh, corporate uh, investment banking clients. So so you do get some good uh, stock ideas. You, you can't take them completely... Uh, um, you need to do a lot more research after that to, you know, look into a little more. Get the brokerage report. Read about the company. Don't, don't pay attention to the brokerage firm's conclusion or the stock stock recommendation or anything like that, but read about the, 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 the business of the company and do a little homework. But uh, those publications certainly are much better, uh, uh, so we say, avenue for uh, stock ideas than Wall Street.
2: You say that people should listen... Uh, to quarterly co- uh, earnings conference calls, um, is, can the average person kind of discern what's really going on there and whether to buy or sell based on those?
3: I think that is an um, it's an amazing way to get a very good, uh, quick one-hour understanding of what's going on at a company once a quarter. And if you miss some quarters, it's okay. You don't have to listen to them live the day they have them or the moment, the hour they have them. You can listen to them for two weeks afterwards anytime you want uh, you can get them on the company's website or so forth and uh, you listen to what Wall Street's asking the questions you can hear what the analysts if the analysts have a negative concerns and negative drilling into the company or if the analysts are feeling positive and you can certainly hear the executives talk about their business and you can tell whether they're uh, arrogant and uh, a lot of you know a lot a lot of hype or whether they're conservative and sound trustworthy and and uh, I just think they're incredibly valuable. Most individuals, investors, don't have any idea that they even exist. And and uh, I just uh, I just think uh, of all the different sources of learning about a company and a stock, that is maybe the one that's the least exploited and, the, and it's the easy, e- very easy to do.
2: Well, as we come to a close here, Steve, why don't you just kind of give people an overall view of, of what they should watch out for and how they can be successful investors in the market today? Yeah.
3: Uh, you have to keep those short-term influences at bay uh, that you, you know, every day uh, happen in the media and what's going on. And you certainly have to understand all that stuff we talked about earlier on Wall Street's confusing, misleading practices so you are gonna work around them and, and uh, avoid them and not pay attention to them and you know, all that confusing gibberish. And then uh, uh, stick to some really solid investment strategies that are conservative, like we've talked about, that uh, will serve you over time. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much,
2: Stephen McClellan. Uh, It's been fascinating. Uh, Again, you can find out more about this book. It's called Full of Bull Unscramble Wall Street Double Talk to Protect and Build Your Portfolio. This is Jordan Goodman, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening.